A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. De Ben White, à droite, Saka qui préfère jouer dans l'axe sur Fabio Vieira. La frappe de Vieira Oh, quel but Quelle frappe soudaine et précise de Fabio Vieira la mécanique diabolique des Gunners est en marche. 3-0. 3-0. La mécanique diabolique. La mécanique diabolique. La mécanique bute diabolique. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. Um, it's Monday morning. It's mm. a goodly morning. It's old school. I'm loving it. Yeah, it's been a while actually, hasn't it, since we've done a Monday morning? Or at least it feels like it's been a while since we've done a, a Monday morning because you are the man of many faces at the moment. Um mm. Constantly having face replacement <laughs> surgery, um, long overdue, some would suggest. Yeah. But yes, lovely to be here. And I mean, a thoroughly enjoyable uh, 90 minutes from an Arsenal perspective at Brentford. Top of the league. Very nice place to be going into an interlull and ahead of a, a North London derby. And, you know, um, after what happened at the weekend when Manchester City won and went back ahead of us in the table, mm. it was important that we... We responded and, you know, took our rightful place at the uh, the, the head of the pack, I think. So, uh, yeah, like you say, very enjoyable. And, uh, you know, considering considering what happened last season when we lost games, you know, the, the sort of slight derailment we'd have. We get a bit of momentum, we lose a game, and then it might take us a little while to get going again. Might lose one or two in a row. Uh, I think there might have been, you know, a couple of times where we, we lost three in a row. When we're looking at this team and we're looking at improvements and looking at things that we can do better this time around, that is one of the one of the things that I was looking at going, how are we going to deal with that? How are we, how are we going to deal with a setback? And we dealt with it very well at a place where, if you uh, weren't already aware, we had a little bit of a setback last season. I know that um, Sky barely mentioned it during their uh, commentary and build-up to the game, but last season's game at Brentford didn't go that well. Is that right? I see. I yeah. have just clean forgotten. Um, I, I think I've blacked that out. But, yeah, Sky were very keen to remind everybody. I mean, effectively, <laughs> it was their marketing for the game, you know, come down to Brentford, Southwest London, and see Arsenal turned over again. Um, <laughs> a palpable disappointment, uh, I suspect, that we turned up with the performance that we did. But yeah, it was a really good response. I mean, several times last season, we suffered uh, consecutive defeats. I think it was four times in the league that we right. lost back-to-back -back games. Um And so to respond from the Old Trafford game like that was really good. I wondered how much Arsenal were helped by quite how long a preparation they had for this one. I mean, it was obviously we had a, a gap that we weren't anticipating. Mm. Um, 
I mean, because we looked extremely prepared. I thought. No, I, I think we did, but you you worry as well. You know, is it a help or is it a hindrance? You yeah. know, do you want to get back on the metaphorical horse straight away, or do you want to, you know, um, put some ointment on the bruised bits uh, sure. and and prepare again? You know, on the one hand, you could say it was probably quite useful because you have that chance to. Uh, as you say, prepare, but also get people fresh, and and you're not going into it fatigued in any way. Yeah. At the same time, though, we did have some players missing. We had some injuries. We had some uh, physical things to deal with. So, yeah, maybe it was. But I, I I guess when you look at the performance and you look at how dominant Arsenal were, I mean, Brentford had some moments, right? But that's really all they were. When you think about how well we controlled this game, the preparation, the build-up, the game plan, the tactics, the organization, it, it feels like it was it was something that was done with plenty of time and, and plenty of practice on the training ground. Definitely. I think, you know, the way we controlled this game demonstrated a real understanding of the threat Brentford provide. But I also think we just played our own game and we did a lot of the things mm. we've been doing well, really well all season long, which is control possession, control territory, you know, create the majority of chances um, and and capitalise on moments in the opposition's box. And, you know, the goals that we scored, to be fair, they were sort of relatively uh, difficult chances, but we took them very, very, very well. Um, so, yeah, I thought this was a sort of really exemplary performance from Arsenal. And I, I imagine... You know, Mikel Arteta will feel very satisfied this morning because he's, this feels about as close to kind of his vision of what an Arsenal team might be or might look like away from home, mm. as we have seen so far, I think. Yeah, and look, without going on about what happened last season, you know, this is a Brentford side who are difficult to play against, particularly at home. Uh, ask Manchester United what happened to them a couple of weeks ago. It might have been a bit of a freak day, a bit of a freak occurrence, but you don't beat Manchester United 4-0 by accident. Mm. And, you know, as much as we talk about preparation from an Arsenal perspective, people people talk all the time about Thomas Frank and he's done a great job there at Brentford and that's true, but they also had lots of time to prepare for this and to work things out from a tactical perspective and how are they going to hurt Arsenal? I think we saw maybe early on where they tried to get in behind the fullbacks a couple of times. There was one yeah. with Ben White um, and maybe one down the left-hand side with, with Kieran Tierney. And that seemed to be um, their plan to try and hurt Arsenal playing in the formation that they did with the five, with the wingbacks, uh, you know, then pushing players further up the pitch in those wide areas. But I think it might have happened once or twice and Arsenal immediately just sort of dealt with that and controlled the game in our own way, which is, you know, completely and utterly negated everything that Brentford were trying to do. And the only real threat they had in the first half was when, as I said in the blog today, they turned themselves into family-friendly Stoke in their red and white and, and put in a few long throws, which are always tough to deal with but again we dealt with them very well and yeah I agree entirely and I noticed that early on they tried that diagonal in behind white where there was and is generally going to be space but they couldn't do it with any kind of regularity mm. um, and I mean yeah I mean Arsenal just met every challenge here this was a game that you know looked on paper difficult uh, and on grass 
Arsenal made it look easy. Um, were you concerned going in about some of the absentees? You mentioned we've had a few injuries. It does seem like we have suffered a lot more injuries maybe than we would have anticipated at this early stage of the season. And mm. I guess some of that was exemplified by some of the names on our bench and eventually on the pitch. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I saw and had a little Twitter interaction with, with somebody who was concerned about the depth of the squad. And I think that's reasonable. When you look at uh, a team and then you look at a bench and you see a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, uh, Matt Smith was on there. I don't know how old he is, but you know he's, he hasn't really played uh, a great deal of football, first-team football. Um I understand where that that concern comes from, but on the flip side of that, when we didn't have Martin Odegaard, we had thirty five million pound Fabio Vieira mm -hmm. to play. When we didn't have Alexander Zinchenko, we had, you know, nominally our first choice left back certainly was last season Kieran Tierney to play in that position. So I think there's only so far depth can go. Uh, you know, we were well covered with the players that were missing yesterday. I think the issue might be if we're missing a Saka or if we miss Martinelli, you know, what do we have then in those wide areas? I think that's probably where we're most light. But you have to be able to, you judge depth on what you've got on the pitch, right? And then mm -hmm. the bench is, is slightly secondary to that. We do have questions about injuries and what have you, and we, we might come to that in part two. But, you know, when you're missing a player as important as Martin Odegaard, he's the captain, he's the, the tactical leader, the technical leader on the pitch as well, um, from Mikel Arteta's perspective, you are worried. But I think Vieira acquitted himself extremely well yesterday. No doubt we'll get to the goal in a couple of moments' time. But in general... I thought he had a very good game. Um, took him a little while to get going, but you know the, the highest compliment I think you can pay him is that, with all due respect, we didn't really miss Martin Odegaard. No, and you buy a player like Vieira for days like this. You know that's why you go out and get somebody mm. with that talent level. You know to step in when needed, and I thought he did pretty well. I mean, obviously the goal was spectacular. Um, and I think you have to remember he is going to a ground where it's difficult against an opponent that can be physical. Reminded me a little bit of Saliba having to make his Premier League debut away to Crystal Palace. Mm. You know, this is a London derby. Um, and I thought given that he fared pretty well, I think it's really clear that, you know, talent-wise, he's got a lot to offer. Uh, and actually, stylistically, he's quite a good fit as a replacement for Martin Odegaard. Sure. You know, he operates similar areas of the pitch, left footer, um, you know, wants to make the final pass, wants to get in the box. So, yeah, if you if you look at it and say we're without our first choice creative playmaker, without our first choice left back, arguably, you know, the guys who stepped in to those uh, gaps performed pretty well on the day. Actually, and front to back, I thought it was a really, really strong Arsenal performance. Yeah, sure was. I mean, it was a really good, um, you know, a good way for him to make his first start, you know, and he ended up mm -hmm. with a, a great goal and we'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah, you're right. From back to front, front to back, whatever way you want to deal with it, I think we we absolutely controlled 95% of this game. And Brentford, you know, where they got joy against Manchester United was pressing them high up the pitch. Um, they didn't really do a great deal of that against us. I don't quite know if that was a tactic or if they viewed, you know, do they view, um, this could 
sound controversial, but maybe they look at someone like Harry Maguire and David De Gea in goal and think that's pressable much more than, let's say, Aaron Ramsdale, William Saliba and, and Gabriel or Ben White, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that factored into the way that they played. Um, I, th- I think that's true, you know. Something we've seen with Man City uh, is that teams have kind of given up pressing them because they're so good at playing it out from the back. And I think it's a level of respect, essentially, that Brentford showed us, knowing that the likes of Ramsdale, Saliba probably are going to pass it round you. If you And if you commit men, you will probably be punished by mm. Arsenal escaping. So that's the benefit of... When, once you get to a certain level of being good at playing out from the back, I actually think teams end up sort of gifting you the sure. ball in those areas because they're like, it's not worth us chasing you anymore. Yeah, I think that's true. And and look, we'll talk about the moments, but I thought as well as controlling the game, there was a lot of really excellent play from an Arsenal perspective. You know, one-touch football, quick passing, quick uh, movement in around the box, which created chances. We saw a couple of that, a couple of those in, in the second half. I think uh, Jesus had one saved um, by Raya, uh, by his feet, Saka had one saved. But we could have been ahead like in the first minute when another really good passage of play, it was Granite Xhaka, whose uh, who's recent good form continues, set up Gabriel Martinelli. He just slipped at the, at the crucial moment. But that kind of set the tone, didn't it, for what was to come? It did, yeah. And that was a nice move too. I thought, um, saw some people online saying maybe should, should Xhaka have shot there. But Possible, I think- yeah. He, he could have done, but I think uh, with, if Martinelli stays on his feet, we're probably not thinking that. You know, he, he gives it to a player yeah. in a good position and he just loses his footing. Um, but yeah, that, that was an indication of the intent with which Arsenal were going to play. And they sort of carried on from there. I mean, the other thing that I would say about this game is Arsenal got goals at really, really good times, you know, mm. particularly in the first 20 minutes and then one after half time to sort of kill the match. Um but yeah, scoring early on helped because one of the things that contributed to the defeat of Brentford last year, I think, was the atmosphere. And I think the fact that this kickoff was moved to 12pm uh, in order to accommodate for you know, the state funeral and everything around it, the policing matters, I think that played into Arsenal's favour a bit because it was quiet. And then when Arsenal came out, dominated the early period and scored it killed the atmosphere all the more. And I think that does matter in a way, games. Sure. I think that really helps you settle. Very respectful 90 minutes of silence from the Brentford fans. <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, I, I, I think I remarked on it in the live blog just before half time that I can't remember hearing a stadium that quiet. And it was entirely due to the way that Arsenal dominated and controlled the game. There was nothing for the Brentford fans to to get um, worked up about. Like, at halftime, they played their end-of-game anthem, which is Hey Jude by the Beatles, and they were doing it to just try and spark them into life because, you know, you could you could feel it. I'm sure they could feel it as well within the stadium that there was nothing. Like, you're right to say the atmosphere last season, that Friday night, the, the, uh, the special occasion that it was from a Brentford perspective, certainly played a part in the way that that game went. And when there's an atmosphere and then you build a bit of momentum in the game, you know, you know how that sensation feels when you're on the wrong end of it. But mm. Arsenal just completely silenced Brentford yesterday. There was a there was a, there's a, I don't know if you've noticed this in the in the replays, right? When Gabriel Jesus scores his goal, 
everyone's looking at the celebration. It's the dance is great. The way he goes over to Granite Xhaka and polishes his boot is great. But when the ball hits the back of the net and Jesus is just peeling off, you can see two Brentford defenders. They just sort of trudge away like um, the sad bit in uh, Arrested Development. You know, they're just heads down. <laughs> you know, they're they're yeah. just completely and utterly uh, disheartened by what's just happened to them because as hard as they tried, they couldn't stop it. And when you've got that sensation, when you feel like that as a, a team that's defending, it's quite difficult to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, to, to sort of turn it around, to go the other way. Um, and you could see by their reaction, they, they just felt a bit helpless. Yeah, and I do think that there was something quite Man City-ish about the way in which Arsenal had this game in a stranglehold. Um, you know, it's kind of like a python. And every time Brentford kind of uh, gasped for breath, Arsenal's grip tightened a little bit more. Um, they, you know, it, it was a day where kind of they could not get a foothold in the game. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, sort of stylistically, when Man City do it, I don't particularly enjoy it. But um, if it's Arsenal, then I can definitely make my peace with that. Um so, yeah, I, I think it was a really difficult afternoon for Brentford, but Arsenal made it that way. Mm. And saying that, you know, for all the quality of their football, for all the um, organisation they showed, they do get the goal for opening goal off a set piece, you know, which shows that however good your overall performance, you still need to be alive and you need to capitalise on those moments and those opportunities where they come and to give credit to the set-piece coach and to the players. That mm. is something Arsenal are doing much more now. Well, you know, one of the the threats that we discussed on the preview podcast before the game, one of the threats from a Brentford perspective was set-pieces and how good they are at set-pieces. And, and that, you know, was something I'm sure we were mindful of going into the game. But perhaps um, something that doesn't get as much credit or as much talk uh, as it should is is how good we are from set pieces, how threatening we are, how many headers we score uh, and how dangerous we can be from these situations. And that was evident in the first goal. Uh, William Saliba uh, with a good header. I enjoyed Granite Xhaka as well, uh, just sort of getting in the way of the uh, of the defenders too. Um, you know, an important part of that goal, to be honest. So Another assist for Granite. <laughs> he, he just can't stop. Um but we are very, very strong at set pieces. And, you know, in a game like this where the first goal uh, can often be so decisive, you know, that that's a that's a real strength to have. Yeah, it's a great it's I mean, it's to be honest, it's a perfect textbook corner, really. You know, great in swing delivery to the near post. Saliba makes a good run, mm. gets across two Brentford defenders, his flick is into exactly the right area. Yeah. Um you know, I don't know if it, I think it would be a bit much to say he knows he's putting that in the far corner, but he's definitely you know nodding it on into a very dangerous area. Exactly, goes in off the post. I mean, it's over the line before the goalkeeper can move. Yeah. Um, so yeah, perfect really in terms of execution. And I think there is someone at that back post. It might be Jesus in case you know the the header mm. heads that direction. He can just nod it in. Um, so yeah, brilliantly done. And you know, Saka in a period where things aren't happening quite as mm. automatically for him as they have done in previous times. 
he's still making big contributions, you know, really valuable assists there. For sure. I think Jesus is offside, um, you know, as that right. ball comes in. But, you know, you're right to say that it's um, the kind of header that, that uh, is going to cause problems because uh, I think you mentioned on your, your, your video, um, you're on the whistle video about putting men on the back post. Mm. And I do wonder if that kind of near post set piece delivery probably necessitates somebody to be on the back post. Of course, you don't know where the, the, the corner is going when it's about to be taken, but, um, no, you but know, Arsenal particularly are aiming a lot of these corners into that near post yeah. area, you know, the sort of Steve Bold area, if yeah. you will. And it's odd how these things move in trends. The time was there were two players on the post at every yeah. corner. And now that's very much out of fashion. But I am seeing a lot of goals go in on those posts. So I do wonder, there must be a rationale, and I suspect it's to do with offside. You know, you mentioned Jesus is offside when Saliba makes that flick. Obviously, he wouldn't be if a player was on the post. But sure. I do wonder if we'll see that creep back in. Two goals so far for William Saliba this season. I mean, he'll be having a little competition with Gabriel now. You know, who is going to be the scoringest centre-half in the Premier League? Yeah, and I guess, you know, he's not someone who's scored a lot of goals in his career, William Saliba. Um, so it will be giving him enormous belief that he started doing that well at Arsenal. And he has all the tools. He's certainly got the physicality to be a threat mm. in the opponent's box in the same manner as Gabriel. Um, you know, I don't know if he quite has the same instincts, but if he's developing them, that's a really positive thing. I mean, you know, good teams, really good teams have mm. always had goals from all areas of the pitch and centre-half is one of those. So just in terms of pure height, as you say, we are giving uh, opposition something to worry about on set pieces. And also it's worth, you know, thinking about the fixture last year and how much trouble Ivan Tony gave us on those longer balls. You know, Arsenal mm. had a centre-half pairing of Pablo Marie and Ben White. Um, Callum I think Chambers ben, was right back. Yeah, and, and I think Ben White, uh, you know, his performance that day was kind of over-indexed and probably quite mm. unfairly analysed. But if you were picking two centre-halves to be up against Tony and Mbwemo, you know, Gabriel and Saliba physically are a really good match. So I think that also helps. You know, the, the level of security they give us at the back uh, is really something right now. Yeah, and I think there's probably... I'd need to watch again, maybe, but the way that we... Look, the way that we control the ball is slightly akin to that Mikel Arteta thing where he talks about, you know, we've got to make 100,000 passes, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? So being in possession helps you control the game, very obviously. But I do wonder if on a rewatch, uh, maybe I'll leave this to the Arsenal Vision guys, um, the way that we negated Brentford's threats or controlled the areas in which they could receive the ball might be worth looking at, you know? Um, yeah, I, so much of it was territorial. I yeah. mean, you know, their front two spent a lot of time in their own half. So they just didn't have mm. an outlet. They didn't have an escape. We really pinned them back um, and controlled their shape in doing so. Mm. But yeah, I, I do think, you know, that physical security we have at the back with White, Gabriel and Saliba all in there um, is a great kind of, foundation for this team yeah the second goal mm -hmm. there's a lot of focus on the quality of the pass from Granit Xhaka and I think it's a superb delivery into into the box 
no two ways about it. And I think one one interesting aspect of this is like, he's not that well known for what he does in the final third in terms of assists and chance creation, even though this season, I think he's done a lot more than than um, he has previously. You know, he set up that chance for Martinelli. He set up another chance for Jesus in this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if teams are really expecting that from Granit Xhaka, hence the reason why they stood off him a little bit, why he wasn't closed down uh, as much as you would like. Like, if I was looking at that goal from um, from another perspective, if we conceded that goal, let's say, I would be looking at our defenders and thinking, well, why didn't you close down the midfielder why did you allow him that much space to put in a ball of of that quality is a great ball by Xhaka no two ways about it but I think the header from Jesus is just unbelievably good Mm -hmm. unbelievably good he has to he still has to do plenty with it in terms of getting the power to put it in the top corner you know this wasn't like a really fast ball where you know you let the ball do the work as the saying goes he had to really get those neck muscles going and and uh and really power it into the top corner slightly very slightly spoiled by a a touch by the goalkeeper but a, a fantastic goal all around Oh yeah, and I think you know he's he's not against any mugging goal here. I mean that's a sharp goalkeeper who, you know, is a good shot stopper. I, I think, I think it's a brilliant pass, and I think it's a brilliant header too. And mm. it's not just the header; it's the movement between the defenders. You know, finding that bit of space, the jump, the arc, uh, you know, reading the ball, the power in the neck. Uh, it's a great goal all round, really, mm. and. Um, very, very easy on the eye, you have to say. And sure. Please for Jesus to get another goal. Because I think, you know, it's funny enough, I think his performances have probably deserved a couple more goals than he's got at this stage. Sure. Uh, um, and he's had some, some decent chances here and there. Uh, might have had another one in this game, as you mentioned. But yeah, this was a, a, a brilliant goal and a proper penalty box goal as well. I mean, a real striker's goal. And I think it's really encouraging to see him getting those because. Uh, you know that's what we're looking for from this season. Yeah, I mean it was it was um, Giroud-esque in terms of yeah. the quality of the header. You know, Erzul to Giroud. You would, <laughs> if you would believe it, if I told you that was an Erzul pass and a Giroud header. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. And I think you know that happened what just about the half hour mark. And yeah. like I said, the Brentford guys, the two defenders, just walk away like, oh Christ. And 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 that really played into how quiet it got in the last fifteen minutes of of that half. Um, mm-hmm. You know, absolutely in control. Brentford really didn't offer anything apart from the long throws, as I mentioned. They tried to rouse the crowd at halftime with the with the song, but the the third goal absolutely just um, I won't say killed the game because Arsenal still controlled it and were still completely dominant even though Brentford tried to change it with a host of substitutions. Um, but the third goal as well, I mean, it was a... Uh, let me see, I've got a... Uh, someone sent me a WhatsApp on this. Uh, uh, Connor Whelan. Uh, 21 passes in the build-up to the third goal, and we started in their half, went backwards. There was a moment when Saliba looked like a, a loose touch might get away from him, but he got it back, played a one-two. I mean, the confidence that this young man has, uh, young man has to play out from the back is is really quite something. Um, another assist for Bakayo Saka. I know that it's not exactly laying it on a plate, but 
it, it counts. It goes down. Second only to Kevin De Bruyne for, for assists in the Premier League this season. And he's not playing well, apparently. So yeah. um, when he does start playing well, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see. <laughs> um, great hit from Vieira, though. I think Raya is expecting him to go for you know from the goalkeeper's perspective for the top right corner. And he just does him, doesn't he? Just clips it inside. And it's uh, it's one of those goals that goes in and you go, that's so simple looking. Why don't, why don't you just do that all the time? <laughs> it is, but you know, it, it's, it's no mean feat to generate that kind of power from that sort of distance. And, mm. you know, he's a, he's a, he's a small slip of a thing. Um, but he's showed there that he's got real power in those boots. He's got great technique. And I think you're right, Ryan takes a step to the other side. But the ball goes in off the post. I mean, I'm not sure mm. he's getting there anyway. No, no. Um, it's a brilliant hit. And there was that sort of little delay as it kind of came off the post. And I think for a split second, he just had to kind of, <laughs> Vieira had to sort of see it, it, see the net bulge to know it had gone in. But yeah. what a way to open your account at Arsenal. I mean, you won't see too many uh, better kind of debut strikes than that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh-huh. I mean that that um I think it was a reward for the the performance that he put in, you know, and there was the the sort of um the commentary on Sky where there was a challenge on him in the first half and he yeah, complained. That really wound me up. I it did say. because he wasn't complaining about the challenge, he wanted the throw. It wasn't about how physical the you challenge get was. used to that. Yeah. That's sort of Exactly, exactly. And like uh I'm sure he's well aware of what tackling is like in the Premier League. But it wasn't about that. He wasn't compla- he was complaining he wanted the throw. So um yeah, I think look- what you've got to remember about Fabio Vieira is at the height he is, the build he is. He's probably been the smallest player on every pitch he's ever played on. <laughs> so, you know, whether whether that's in Portugal, whether that's in the Premier League, and he's he's spoken about this actually when I interviewed him in preseason, he spoke about this. You know, his whole career he's had to deal with that challenge, mm. and of course the Premier League is maybe upper level in terms of intensity or physicality, but that's what he's accustomed to using his skill, using his brain mm. to be one step ahead of people. And I've got real real faith in him as a talent. I think. I think he's clearly really, really gifted. And I think that it's curious that his signing's sort of been, I guess, well, maybe it's not curious because he's not been on the pitch, but I do think it's been a little bit overlooked what he might bring to Arsenal this season and how valuable it could be to have someone who, you know, can provide that kind of threat in so many different positions as well. Well, yeah, yeah. And when we when we needed him because of the absence of Odegaard, there he was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is a it's a position where there's a such a measure of importance that you do need um, a quality backup slash um, depth option in in that position. And like if Smith Rowe had been fit, for example, he might have played. Ordinarily, he might have played when Odegaard doesn't. But I think there's you know they're very different players. I think not just because they're left footed, but I do think Vieira and Odegaard are a bit more similar in terms of how they play that role than Smith Rowe and Odegaard. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that Smith Rowe, um, so much of his strength is kind of his movement, his running in behind. Um, whereas I think Odegaard is more someone who wants to be on the ball in possession, making passes. I, I fundamentally, I know Smith Rowe can pass, but I don't really think of him as a passer. I think of him mm. as a dribbler. Um, there are stylistic differences, and I think Vieira is closer. To Odegaard in terms of what he offers. If anything, I think what he offers 
more so than Odegaard, is goal threat. I mean, all mm. through his career, he scored goals at every level. So, um, and we saw that yesterday. And that, you know, set the seal on the performance. But one of the things that I found really encouraging about this game was how intelligently Arsenal managed it. I mean, even when they went 2-0 up in the first half, mm. you could kind of see in the team that there wasn't... Um, there wasn't that kind of cavalier approach to, okay, we've two goals up, let's chase the perfect goal. Let's, you know, try and, you know, hit them on the break every now and every time we get the ball. There was a maturity about the way they saw the half out. Mm. It was like they knew, get to half time at 2-0 and we're in a very strong position. And similarly, once they got to 3-0, they exhibited real control. And even down to things as stupid as time wasting or, you know, Aaron Ramsdale going down <laughs> with injury, like it might feel unnecessary, but to me it's indicative of a team who are realising the kind of professional edge that they require at this level. 100%. There, you know, there is a direct, to my mind anyway, and maybe people won't like this, but I think there's a direct correlation between how effective you are as a team, how good you are as a team, and the kind of cynical streak that you need to have, mm -hmm. you know, on occasions like this where you just make it difficult. You stop their little bit of momentum, whatever they have, you frustrate them. It's sort of the ongoing equivalent of keeping the ball in the corner flag in the final stages of a game. You know? Yeah, it's exactly that. And whether that be, you know, taking a long time to take a goal kick after they've just had an attack or Mikel Arteta turning a player going down into injury into an impromptu team talk mm -hmm. that takes two and a half minutes out of the game. All of these things just, as you say, stop the home side building any momentum. And that's what the best teams do. You know, it is part of that strangling of the game. Just every time it looks like they might be building something, slow it down, kill it, bring it back to your speed that yeah. suits you. And Arsenal did that really well. That was the other half of the game, really, that they did really, really effectively against Brentford. So, look, I, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that the three points were well-deserved. Um, it, it does sort of continue the the progress of this season. I know we had that blip against Manchester United, but we're back on track again and, and uh, we've responded to defeat in the best possible way. We have to talk about uh, the substitutions that Mikel Arteta made and the first four maybe aren't really noteworthy because, you know, they were kind of not time-wasting substitutions, but, you know, bringing players on uh, at certain points in the game just sort of, again, kills the momentum. I think we got to like 75, 76 minutes without making any changes. Mm -hmm. By the end of the game, we'd made all five. The the one that everyone's talking about, of course, is a 15-year-old, Ethan Nwaneri, mm -hmm. um, who I have to admit I hadn't heard a great deal about until this weekend, till he was training with the with the first team. Um, not only the youngest player ever to play for Arsenal, but the youngest player ever to make his debut in any of the top five leagues. Um, I did know. I did notice. Uh, maybe I've got it here. We had questions. Uh, let me see if I can find one here. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, let's see. Yeah, for example, uh, Rabona Panenka. That's a very uh, good footballing name, isn't it? He's at Ben Akrif on Twitter. Says, I wonder good, which one is his real name. I think uh, Rabona Panenka. 
Okay. Uh, that's it. His dad was a big uh, <laughs> a showy penalty fan. He said, um, was bringing 15-year-old Ethan no- Nwaneri, I'm going to have to get used to saying that, was uh, bringing him on for his debut against Brentford revenge for that tweet by Ivan Tony. Personally, I like a manager with a bit of edge in the social media banter era. I'm not sure it was, but um, it did say something about the way that Arsenal played this game so convincingly that Mikel Arteta felt he could put on a 15-year-old for his debut, even if it was only for five or six minutes at the end. It's not really what he does as a manager. You know, I think there were occasions last season as well where maybe he could have turned to the bench and in the final stages he could have played a kid, you know, maybe in a game that we were chasing and he didn't, you know. Um, So he felt confident enough and happy enough to do it there yesterday but I it, I don't think it's really to sort of hit back at Ivan Tony or anything like that No I don't think so either um, I mean he spoke about it afterwards he kind of said I had a gut feeling pure vibes he's managing off pure vibes <laughs> but that does seem kind of out of character I, I have to say I maybe I'm uh, reading too much into it I probably am but I feel like it was um almost a kind of strategic move. You know, if you bring this young player with you, given that opportunity, you you meet, you become the club who've given the debut to a player at the youngest age in the top five leagues, as you say. What does that say about Arsenal? What story does that tell? And I think that between Arteta, Edu and the board, the rest of the club, they have become much more astute at telling a story through actions you know, you look at the transfer market, the signings they've made, the age of the players. You look at what they've done in terms of making Martin Odegaard the captain at a relatively young age, giving an out squad numbers to Smith Rowe, Saka, mm. Martinelli. Um, you know, they they are positioning Arsenal as a club where young talent gets an opportunity. And you know, you think back to the summer, Arsenal lost a promising young player in Amari Hutchinson who went to join Chelsea. Um, yeah, Penny for his those- thoughts now. Yeah, well, he was one of those players, I guess, who was on the bench quite frequently and didn't get those opportunities, didn't get those minutes. Um, But I just think every young player in the academy will have seen 15-year-old Ethan Ranieri given this chance. And what kind of motivation, what kind of message does that send? Yeah, And I think, you know, even down to the fact that the Hale End documentary finally came out in the past couple of weeks and... Uh, I've not had a chance to watch it yet, but I think Nonari is one of the players featured in that. You know, everything is quite joined up at Arsenal in terms of the strategic picture that they are painting. And by accident or design, this fits with that. And if you're a young player thinking about going into Arsenal's academy or currently in the academy and thinking about going elsewhere, I think this could prove to be a significant moment. I think it will have a significance. It'll be hugely significant to... Ethan himself, but I think it will go beyond that. And I think, uh, I think, given that, I think it was quite a smart move from Arteta. This, if there was ever a time to do it, three nil up and coasting mm. was the time. And I'm glad he did do it. No, sure, I agree. And and you're absolutely right to make that point about the what it could do for players in the academy. You know, this is a hugely competitive industry. We know that you've got to be special to make it, but you can also make it through sheer hard work and endeavor and determination. You know, you don't have to be the most skillful player, but if you're 
dedicated, if you if you are professional in your approach, you know, um, who would you use as an example? I know it's a different era, but someone like Ray Parler, for example, mm-hmm. you know, who by his own admission was never the most skillful player, but, you know, what he gave to the team and what he would do for the team and how he enabled other players in the team to, to express themselves was an important part of you know, uh, sides that won the title, won the double, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there is that. But I, I also think there might have been something, uh, you know, on an individual basis as well. If you've got a 15-year-old who is coming through and hasn't yet uh, signed properly uh, with the club, signed scholarship forms, et cetera, et cetera, having seen someone like Amari Hutchinson leave for Chelsea, whether that was the right decision for him or not remains to be seen. But I do wonder if you convince a young player, you will have your opportunity here. Look, we've given you a debut at 15. When you turn 16 and you can sign professional forms, I think it's 16, isn't it? Or do you sign scholarship forms at 16 and then professional forms at at 17, 18? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but to, to show him that there's sufficient belief that this is the club where he should be. And I thought there were some nice moments at the end as well where, was it Ramsdale and Martinelli brought him over to the away fans, you know, to to sort of point to him and get the applause, which he did. You know, things like that, they might be small, they might not mean much, many people might not see them as important. But I think when you're talking about integrating players and, and creating a an environment in which young players feel like they can thrive and get opportunity. And I don't just mean from the academy either. I think if you're like a a young player anywhere between 18 and 22, 23 right now playing for another club, and if Arsenal come calling, you'd be much more minded to give it serious consideration, wouldn't you? Because you can see that this is basically the, the ethos of the club right now is to build something with young players. And look, they're not going to all stay young forever, you know, um, time marches on and everything else. But I, I think, yeah, you're, you, it just says a lot about the way Arsenal are being run right now. Absolutely. And I think it's something, I think most Arsenal fans, it's so funny how things happen. Like had Arsenal lost the game, people would be saying, and we had a 15-year-old on the bench. What <laughs> you know, does what, that what say? What's the world come to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And today we're all very proud of it. But I think in general, you know, when we're at our, our our calm best, it is something that we take pride in about the club, that we do give an opportunity to young people. It's a philosophy that, you know, was really, it, it goes far back, beyond us and Wenger, mm. you know. Um and to be the club who, you know, the foremost club in that respect now with this record um, is a, a nice little a nice little topper on what was a great day. Mm, sure was, sure was. Like we said, top of the table, going into the interlull, six wins from, is it six wins from seven? Um, yes. You know, it's a very, very good start to the season. And even if you want to say, well, the fixture list has been relatively kind, all you can do is win your games and you can't build momentum without winning games like this as well, you know? So um, mm-hmm. it's it's all very pleasing, all very encouraging. And I think just as a final coda on this first half, when I think about this team, how it's being built, how it's progressing, how it's developing, the you, you said um, a couple of minutes ago, the maturity of the performance and really... This is a very, I don't want to, if I use the word immature, it sounds wrong, but you know what I mean? It's not a particularly mature team. No, no. Um, And that, I think, 
says a lot about what we could be capable of uh, as we go forward. Definitely. Exciting times. Sure are. Sure are. Okay, will we take a break? Let's do it. Let's take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Do you mind if I go first? Not at all. Okay, we loads of questions around this particular topic. Uh, this one comes from Jamie on the Discord. And he says, Gabriel Jesus got just one yellow card for Man City last season, whereas he has four in seven games this season for Arsenal. I'll avoid asking a leading question by suggesting why I think this is happening, but why do you guys think there is such a drastic difference there? And there were other questions about, um, you know, are you a bit worried um, about, you know, five yellow cards now gets you a one-game suspension? So mm-hmm. Gabriel Jesus is is teetering on the brink of that ahead of a very, very busy and difficult month, particularly at the start with the North London Derby and then Liverpool. I'd say he's going to miss a game. Oh, yeah. Because the way he plays in, and the intensity of some of those fixtures on the horizon, um, there's going to be a yellow card, I would say, mm. somewhere along the line. And it, it is going to come at quite unfortunate timing because there are some big, big matches coming up. Um 
It's tricky because I didn't watch him so closely with Man City last season to know if he was tearing around the pitch in quite the same way. You know, he is playing, I think, with an added layer of intensity and motivation this mm. season. And that may be contributing. But I understand what the question is implying. And I it wouldn't surprise me if he is being refereed slightly differently, as all teams are mm. slightly differently. Um, I I have to be honest and say, I don't remember too many of his bookings that I thought were incredibly harsh. Um I think by and large the things he've done he's done I've been like yeah that probably is a yellow card. So my inclination would be to say that he probably got away with more at City than he's getting away with at Arsenal. Mm, I'm just looking I, I think the one yesterday is very obviously a yellow card. Yeah. Um I don't know that it's the smartest challenge he's ever made in in his life. Um but it was sort of late in the game it's kind of a tired tackle and and uh, he gets a yellow card. The other yellow cards came against Bournemouth where he got um, punished fairly early in the second half. He chased back and barged a guy in the back and got uh, got booked for it. I'm just looking mm. at the Fulham one here now. Um, if the clip comes up, I'm not sure. I'm just looking at Y Scout here. They're just showing the aftermath of a tackle. Well, I don't know why he got booked against Fulham. I can't see that one. There's only one foul given... Um, listed here and there isn't really anything uh, definitive about why he was booked so maybe it is a case that he's getting um, refereed slightly differently I do think Manchester City as a side get away with more than we do mm -hmm. um, but I think you're also right to point out that he is probably much more involved all over the pitch for us given that he's playing centrally and dropping into deep areas dropping into wide areas whereas at Man City I would say his role was much more uh, strictly defined in terms of one area of the pitch that's true I mean if you're playing as a wide forward I think your opportunities to get booked are substantially less mm. whereas Jesus the way he's playing for Arsenal he's closing down centre halves he's closing down holding midfielders he's trying to nick the ball back you know in, mm. in very congested areas of the pitch he's he's not a tackler per se, so he's going to arrive late sometimes. Um, it's a really tricky balance because I would not want to take any of the physical intensity out of his game. I think it's really key to how we've been playing and it's been a big improvement. Mm. Um, so I sort of think, you know, it is just something we're going to have to accept and the likelihood is he's going to miss the game through suspension. But to be honest, he's going to have to miss a game eventually anyway right like you know he can't play with this degree of physical intensity for 38 games it, you know there'll be one or two that he has to sit out and if that's due to a ban so be it we just mm. have to hope that i mean maybe we're talking about arsenal being cynical and managing situations better maybe there'll be a game where he thinks do you know what if i got myself a yellow card today and miss the next one well be ideal yeah i mean if he makes it through the the spurs game and the liverpool game without a yellow card. I do wonder if in the Leeds game, that might be the the way to manage that because we've got Southampton and, and Nottingham Forest are the next two mm -hmm. Premier League games. You know, you don't want him teetering on the brink as we head into a game against Chelsea in early November, you know, that way. So there might be something to that, but he's got to get through those games first. And, and to, you know, given how intense the North London derby is going to be and, and the way that he plays, 
I do have a little bit of a worry that that might be that might be the game that tips him over the edge. Um, I hope yeah, not, so- obviously, but but it might be. And just so, for, so everyone knows, that so the rule is that any player earning five bookings from their side's first 19 Premier League matches mm. will serve a one-match ban. So, I mean, he's on that tightrope for a while now. It's not like we're close to some kind of amnesty. No. Um, yellow cards are not carried over to the EFL Cup or FA Cup, so you can't do that. Um and it says players who accumulate 10 yellow cards in Premier League matches up to and including their team's 32nd fixture will serve a two-match suspension in the competition. Mm. So that, you know, that becomes um, a, a worry too. If you reach five as quickly as that, you know, in eight or nine games, um, you might be staring down the barrel of a, a two-match suspension later in the season. Yeah. I mean, Granit Xhaka only has two yellow cards this season so you know Gabriel Jesus is putting him to shame (laughs) yeah true it is the role Jesus is playing for us I think is a big component in it and it's really tricky because you wouldn't want to dissuade him from doing the work he's doing no that's true but I think you can also have a word and say don't do don't make the foul that you made yesterday in the whatever it was when did he get booked like the let me have a look at the live blog here yeah, if the game is in a comfortable position, for example. Yeah, which it was at that point, and Arsenal had had it well and truly. Yeah, like yellow card in the 90th minute. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to pick up that yellow card. Even if I understand that, you know, this is the way he plays. This is the job that he feels he has to do. I think you have to just kind of use your head a little bit. And uh, and hopefully we can get him through those two games because, you know, to, to face uh, Liverpool without Gabriel Jesus would be a bit of a blow. Certainly, certainly would. Um, We had this question on the Discord from Luke Kempner, who said, Goodly morning, just wondering if there will be some sort of Ask Blog meetup for the Open Top Bus Parade when we win the league, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I enjoyed. Yes. Yeah, oh yeah, Uh, for sure. Almost certainly, yes. Yes. And I know that we've sort of dealt with this subject already slightly, but I do think it's interesting. Emil Smith, row your boat, said, are you guys as perplexed as I am about the mythologising regarding last season's opener? If I recall correctly, it was a relatively even game which Brentford got the better of. The way pundits have gone on about it since, you'd think we had our trousers pulled down and Ben White scored five own goals. Why has that one game created such a narrative? Well, I think because it was followed by two comprehensive defeats against Chelsea and... Manchester City, which brought about our worst start in the league for blah, 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 however many years. I don't know how many years. Uh, Nobody ever mentioned it, so I can't remember. Um, I think it was just everything that went on. Like I said, it was a special occasion for Brentford. They just, you know, it was their first game in the Premier League, wasn't it? And they got moved to a new stadium. There was all the post-game stuff um, with uh, Carragher and and Neville dancing with the fans, which was, you know, annoying. the the focus on Ben White, you know, fifty million pound Ben White didn't win all of his headers against Ivan Tony. What a waste of money, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, I think Ben White yesterday low key had a, another superb performance. I think he's probably yeah, he been did. one of our our most consistent players this season. I think for him, it must have been very nice to lay those ghosts to rest a little bit, you know, because he mm. was pilloried. I think unfairly after that game and that slightly 
and maybe even still to an extent because you know some people will take a fixed position on something and nothing uh, will change their minds no evidence no uh, evidence to the contrary will change their minds i think it has colored the opinion of him among certain arsenal fans but you know he's been absolutely superb this season he's keeping tommy asu out of the side who was who was just outstanding in the first half of last season so that tells you something um I, you know, we were we were done in. We we had COVID absences. We had injuries. We played. Uh, was it Balagoon's first game, uh, first start for the club yeah. up front? Like I think only you, four players who played that game played yesterday. Well, that tells you plenty. That tells you plenty, doesn't it? You know, this was a team that wasn't ready, and that was our fault to some extent. You know, you have to take responsibility for that. But what it was, I think, was. When people looked at the fixture list, they said, ooh, Chelsea and Man City, don't think Arsenal are going to win that, but they should take three points against Brentford. You know, this is a newly promoted side. This is the game where at least they can get themselves off the mark before they get turned over by the two big clubs. Um, and, it, you know, it 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 was a stain on the early part of, of that season. Um, and I guess people out there would have liked to see lightning strike twice because that's much more fun for them when they're writing newspaper headlines or doing post-game punditry than than Arsenal being really good is like let's revel in the misery of of Arsenal's failure I think there is an element of that being just much more exciting TV for everybody else yeah not for us obviously but for everybody else and that's normal when a big club loses a game it's funny. You know, we all laughed at Manchester United when they lost to Brentford as well. So, 4-0, in case anyone... 4-0. Not 2-0, um, 4. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. That's the baggage that comes with being a big club, is that the neutral's always going to mm. want to see you fall. Um, and I think the reason that particular game attracted so much attention, you've got to remember, it was the season opener. And not only was it the season opener, it was the season opener to the season where fans were back. So... You know, for, for fans to be back in ground mm. and have that raucous atmosphere, party atmosphere on the Friday night, the eyes of the football world were on that game. I think it's inevitable that it kind of made waves. I think the analysis of the actual game itself is correct. It was far closer than the scholar line suggested and mm. Brentford, you know, had the better of the margins. Um, but, you know, when the eyes of the world are on you and you fail, it's going to... It's gonna, it's gonna stay with you. That's yeah. staying for a little bit of time. But I think it was really nice that Arsenal went there yesterday, and I think laid those goes pretty effectively. Yeah, to rest. for sure. And I think one, one of the other things that's kind of forgotten about the the Brentford game last season is that we should have had a penalty um, in the first half. There's mm. a foul on Balagoon, and, yeah. and it, it wasn't given. So maybe that would have changed the trajectory of that game. First goal, as we know, is is really important. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here is one from Balaji Ravishandran, I think, um, who's at Gunnar Madras. And he says, thoughts on the mutual appreciation between the fans and Granite Xhaka. We have come a long way, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, heartwarming. And it's been building for quite a long time, really. And... You know, Shaku had an outstanding performance yesterday. Um, but I have to be honest and say, I think he's been playing at that kind of level for a little bit of time. Um, I think he's been really good for quite a long period. and Not just this season. No, I, I actually think 
the majority of last season, he was very, very good. And I think the second half of the season before, um, I think he's had a very strong run in the team in different roles. And uh, I'm glad that a lot of those, well, speaking of ghosts being laid to rest, you know, a lot mm. of those wounds and divisions seem to be healed now. Um, he's still the same guy. He still got himself his booking yesterday, trying to block a goal kick. I enjoyed that booking. I'm, I won't <laughs> lie. I can't talk about you know wanting the team to be cynical without giving a little bit of appreciation for, for that booking. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I think it speaks to sort of the general sense of unity. I think, you know, he wore the armband yesterday, mm -hmm. I think I'm right in saying. Um, and it wasn't really a talking point, which that in itself shows you how far we've come, right? Sure. Sure. I mean, look, whatever you think of Granit Xhaka as a player, and, you know, I know that he has divided opinion and, you know, he has at many times in the past frustrated me, and I think we've talked about that on here. It is a nice moment when there is that um, that sense of healing because, you know, something like that, something, you know, what happened against Crystal Palace, leaving aside the rights and the wrongs of it and, and all the rest, because it's water under the bridge at this point and time has passed. That, that's not a nice situation for anyone. You know, it's a bit of a wound between the player and the fans. It created, you know, a lot of division um, inside and outside the club. He wanted to leave. He was convinced to stay by Mikel Arteta. You know, on a purely human level, for it to reach the point where the fans are loudly singing his name for the first time in his Arsenal career. You know, he's six years at the club now, and this is the first time really that his name has been sung. It's just a nice moment. And I think it's to everyone's benefit that there is a more, you know, a positive feeling around the team, the players and, and certain individuals, right? And this is a positive development with Granit Xhaka. You know, I agree I think his good form isn't just confined to this season. I know he had a few up and down moments last season, but in general, I think he's been playing very well. And I think it's nice. You know, I do think it's a nice thing that that there is that sense of, of unity or a sense of healing, whatever it might be. And I hope he can, can, he, he can continue it. And I, I also think, as we referenced in the first half of, of the show, this is a young team and we need some experienced heads to provide a little bit of stability along the way. And he is doing that in absolute tons this season. He really is. So fair play. Um, you know, he, he, he is making a big difference. He is. And he's adapting to this, you know, slightly different role that he's playing the team really impressively. Mm. And uh, I think surprising everybody, including the opposition at times. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, long way it continue. Um, what about this from JM Gunner 87 What were both of you doing at 15 years and 181 days old? <laughs> what was I doing? So what year would that have been? When I was 15 and 181 days old, that would have been um, around January... 1987. Right. I was born in 1971. 
So 15 is 86 and 180 days, September. So I was September 71. So it would have been, I don't know, probably messing in school, not doing my homework, dreading the report card, which always said, uh, if Andrew applied himself, he could be, he could achieve much better grades, that kind of stuff. Thinking about where we might get some beer on the Friday so we could go drink it in, in Bushy Park opposite the school that we were in. That was probably what I was doing. Certainly not considering um, my footballing career with Arsenal. Sadly, I wish, but there you go. What were you doing? Uh, uh, I think it was about that age that um, I was I was, a, I was quite a big kid. I think I was, uh, I was probably obese, actually. I was a sort of really fat child. And um, <laughs> I think it was about that age that my PE teacher, uh, Mr. Long, told me that if I carried on as I was, he expected me to be dead by the age of 23. <laughs> did he actually say that to you? <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah. So... Not quite where Ethan Wanneri is, um, certainly in athletic terms. But, uh, you know, I'm 36 now, so... You've made it! <laughs> you know, I, I pinned Mr. Long's team talk up on the dressing room wall <laughs> and uh, I've really gone from strength to strength. You should um, look him up. Send him an email. You must be on Twitter and go, not dead yet, you fucker. I don't know if I'll get to 43, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, but yeah, um, so no, it is kind of mad and frightening. I think I saw online a tweet that went viral saying that when COVID started, Ethan Ranieri was twelve, and I and, oh, and now he's playing for Arsenal. There's um, a there's a lot of stuff where you know, um, he's younger than the Emirates Stadium. Jesus, stuff like that. Yeah, um, I don't need much to make me feel old these no, days. No, I know, but, but this really does. That really um, does, yeah. But you know, uh, to be fair, we, we talked a lot about uh, kind of you know the symbolic meaning of him coming on. He does sound like a really interesting prospect. I mean, mm. the little I do know about him, he played for the under 18s at 14, I think scored on his debut for them, played for the under 21s not long ago at 15, made a brilliant assist for the under 21s at that age. So this is clearly a guy who's got some natural talent and mm. you know, I think they think very highly of him as a character as well. You know, it sounds like Mertesacker and Edu gave a, a good reference yeah. to Arteta. So you know, I think we're. I think uh, obviously we don't want to apply any uh, pressure or anything like that. But it's nice to know there's another gifted young player coming through the academy. For sure, for sure. Okay, here is one from RJ, who's at RoLDN on Twitter. He said Thomas Frank was very complimentary of Arsenal's performance and said we could be title challengers. Do you think he was being genuine or just saying it to downplay Brentford's defeat? He said it before the game as well, didn't he? Um, mm. There's a nice clip you may have seen on social media of him talking about William Saliba. Oh, he, yeah. Let me see. He just sort of goes, uh, he's like listing Arsenal's good players. And he just sort of goes, Saliba? Woo. Like that. <laughs> Hang on. Let me see. I think, I think I've got the clip here. Hang on. Here we go. Saliba. Woo. 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 Saliba. Woo. <laughs> Uh, a noise we've all made in appreciation mm. at some point this season. And yeah, his role, by the way, in the second goal, I think we probably didn't spend long enough on it, but it's brilliant. He has this real knack, and it's something I saw when I first went to watch him in France. He waits until the last possible moment before yeah. moving away from the defender. He draws them right in. Um, 
it's brilliant for evading a press because you know you take someone out of the game effectively with a little sidestep or a pass. Um, it's almost like a game of chicken, and he's got real nerve in those situations. Mm, but yeah, uh, Thomas Frank says with title challenges. Arsene mm. Wenger said the same the other night. Did he? Apparently, he said there's you know they could be. You know, given the way they've played, they could be... I think could be is fair. I think... Are maybe not quite. Yeah. I, I just think when you look at the the respective difficulties of the fixture lists, I do think that it has been pretty kind for Arsenal to date. Um, and, you know, we've had... Uh, we had one major test away at Old Trafford and we did not pass it. Um, and I just wonder, you know... How will we come through October? I think after October, we might be able to have a more serious conversation about it. But in all honesty, I'm not even thinking about the title. Yeah, it's, it's too early. But I think early credentials, you know, are are positive um, for sure. But I think we need to see more against, you know, other teams in the top four, top six, before we can say definitively that Arsenal can continue or sort of garner enough points over the course of a season to challenge for the title. I, yeah. I, I think it's probably beyond us. And like you say, it's only seven games, so we do need to sort of rein it in a little bit. But I can understand why people are thinking that way, because when you win, all you can think of is winning. When you're losing games, you you don't know where the next win is coming from or how it's going to arrive, you know? Even if you go back last season when we lost those three games, if you remember um, was it? Oh, uh, I remember. Brighton, yeah, yeah, you remember. But Brighton, blah blah blah, and, and Southampton and Crystal Palace, right? And you're thinking, what the? How the? F-? We're playing Chelsea next. Is that it? I can't mm. remember if it was Chelsea or Man United, whichever one it was. But like, you're going, how are we going to win that game? I mean, if we can't beat those teams, how the fuck are we going to? How are we going to beat Chelsea? And then I we know. go and beat Chelsea away from home, you know? So football has ways of of um, spinning you around. But look. Uh, I think it's probably beyond us, but everything we're doing so far is very encouraging and let's build on that and see where we go. Um, could I follow up on that? Because yeah. um, Dushyant Gupta, who's at Dushyant AFC on Twitter says, uh, morning to both of you. Uh, October is coming. And do you think Arsenal's biggest enemy right now are injuries and niggles? And a lot of people asking, are you concerned about... Um, the aches and strains and what have you that we're picking up on the training ground. Yeah, and I think Mikel Arteta sounds a bit alarmed too, to be honest. Um, do you think it's got anything to do with the departure of Shad Forsyth or is it just, you know, I, I, when things like this happen, people put two and two together and, you know, many times they can come up with five, but this could be leaning towards a, a four? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think that inevitably people are going to look at that situation uh, and ask questions. Um, we spoke, funnily enough, last week, I think, about how Arsenal replaced mm. Sheffield Scythe and Tom Allen stepping up as head of sports science. Um, and he's sort of the guy who's primarily responsible for the sort of physical performance dimension of training. Mm. Um, it does feel like we are losing quite a few. I mean, this week alone... I think Zinchenko to a calf problem, Odegaard to a calf problem. Mm. Um, I saw Charles Watts reporting that Saliba's carrying something at the present time. Yeah. Not that you can tell. Um, and, you know, the, yeah, there, there have been others. I mean, over the so who else was out yesterday? Smith Rowe, obviously. Yeah. 
Um, slightly different situation because, you know, it's sort of something that he's got a bit of a history with and um, it's related to his growth. Um Cedric's out injured, isn't he? There's mm. a few, a few more. Uh, El Nani. El Nani. Yeah. Um, Reese Nelson's on the way back. It seems I saw that he posted that he his recovery is complete, effectively. So we might have Reese Nelson available for selection after the international break, which mm-hmm. feels kind of like a novelty. Um, yeah, it's a little bit worrying. It's a little bit worrying, and you hope. I guess you hope it's just bad luck. Um. Yeah, One thing I would say is if you're going to suffer a spate of injuries, I'd rather it was now than in October. Mm. Like if we can get some of these guys back during the international break, then that could be yeah. invaluable. I mean, I think it's inevitable that we're going to lose a few players in October because of the schedule, because of yeah. maybe suspensions. Um, I think that's probably true, though, of all the teams that are going to be playing European competition as well, because they all have nine games in October, whereas teams outside of Europe are going to play six games, which is plenty anyway. But the the nine game thing, I think, is going to affect every team. You know, I'd be very surprised if a if a top team came through that period without losing one or two or three players. I mean, even look at something, um, a team like Liverpool at the moment who who have started the season with a a spate of injuries which have been quite damaging for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not unique to Arsenal. I just think in this season of all seasons, it's hard not to worry about how big the impact of injuries is going to be because of the schedule because of the world cup because of the gap because of the players who are going to be away because of the 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 players who are not going and then you know find themselves in a strange physical place when football resumes you know i think that is going to be one of the the big challenges as well so my worry isn't just confined to october it's it's um how this whole thing is going to impact uh players so Hopefully, over the course of the interlull, we can get a couple of these players back and, you know, as many hands on deck as possible for the month of October is, is you know, is going to be really, really important because nine games, even with as much rotation as possible in the in the Europa League, is going to test us, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I think what's good, you know, the positive is that the guys who are being asked to step in here and mm. there are generally doing pretty well. Um you know, we saw Marquinhos, for example, in the Europa League come in and really impress. And that demonstrates maybe an element of depth that we didn't anticipate. Mm. Um, but it is a worry and, you know, we need it to cease. I'm hoping that the international break, you know, you'd imagine obviously Zinchenko won't go. You'd imagine Odegaard won't go. Mm. Maybe it might provide a bit of a reset point. Smith Rowe's not been called up to either international squad under 21s or senior. Um, might give a bit of a reset point for some of these guys because mm. we're going to desperately need them um, the other side of the break. Sure. Um, what about this? Anthony Bergelin. It's funny how football opinions swing so quickly. Anthony says, has, has KT made a case for the left-back position versus Spurs? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I think so. I think, you know, it was... Um, I think this was... a a performance that looked much more like the old Kieran Tierney. You know, we have to remember that he's making his way back to match fitness as well. You know, having 
missed last, the end of last season, had surgery. Um, I think when you're when I think about that game against Spurs, I do think that defensive solidity is going to be really important against a team whose main strength, as we all know, is in that front three, right? Yeah. And I love what Zinchenko does in that that sort of hybrid left-back, left-sided midfield role. But I wonder, too, if after what happened last season when we played Spurs and Mikel Arteta was absolutely intent on going there and playing our own game and it didn't really work out, I do wonder if when he thinks about this particular North London derby, if an element of pragmatism might be might be useful, you know? I think Tierney is a better defender than Zinchenko. No two ways about it in my mind. I'm not saying they're miles apart, but I, I just think in terms of solidity, um, Tierney is, is a better defender than, than Zinchenko. I think the, the fact that Thomas Partey is back might also play a part in that decision. Mm. Whereas I think it's, if you don't have Partey, maybe you're looking for Zinchenko to do more in that midfield role. But if you've got Partey, who was, uh, I think, a little bit rusty with his passing, but in general gave us a presence and calmness at the base of midfield that helped us control the game yesterday, um, I do wonder if that might might play into it. What about you? I think, yeah, that's a tough call now. I think this was Tierney's best performance of the season so yeah. far. Um we actually had a question on the Discord from Elizabeth Royal Arsenal. We said, after the match, at least with the coverage I had, it appeared that Arteta made a beeline to Kieran Tierney and said something like, see, that was good. I thought this was interesting. <laughs> I mean, there was a kind of look between them. I don't know if you caught it on camera. I didn't. Right um, at the end, there, is it? Yeah, it is. Arteta comes on the pitch and he sort of makes a kind of, he raises his eyebrows and sort of uh, shrugs towards Kieran Tierney as if to say kind of not so bad eh? Mm. and I you know there is clearly an ongoing conversation about Tierney's role in the team and it's an evolving one you know I think mm -hmm. yesterday he was doing a, a bit of both he was doing sort of the overlapping stuff we're more accustomed to seeing from him but he was also popping up in some central areas at times um, and you know it's an adaptation just as it's been for Granit Xhaka to adapt his role within the side. Um, but just because a player doesn't take to that immediately, I don't think means that we should write them off or assume they won't fit. And Tierney, I think yesterday, just reminded people a little bit of his attributes and his qualities. Sure. Um, I agree. Everyone likes the shiny new thing, and I'm not downplaying Zinchenko at all. But, you know, there is an element of, oh, we've got this new thing. Yeah, who cares about the old one? Whereas I think yesterday's a perfect example of, you know, why you need two good players in that position. And we saw the yeah. benefit of that. And I think it will be a tough call, actually, for the derby, because I think Arteta's, I think his inclination, like his instinct would be to pick Zinchenko, because I think mm. fundamentally he's all about what we do on the ball, the build-up. I think that's where Arteta's kind of uh, heart is. Um, but he may make a more pragmatic choice of going with Tierney as the better defender. I mean, he's likely to be up against Kulusevski, who I think is arguably... I suppose it's in creative terms anyway, their most threatening player. Mm. Um, and I do worry about the devastation they provide. I mean, they're a weird team, Spurs, where they can seem to be playing not particularly well in games and then they're just so devastating in attack that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I haven't watched a single second of Spurs this season. Sure. I just will not uh, do that to myself. I hate You're, it. That's yeah. very wise. But I, get, I, I know what you mean um, in terms of, you know, how they how they can look a bit pedestrian perhaps, but then they have that quality up front, which as you say, can be devastating. And yeah. and that's where I think a moment or a single lapse or one defensive misstep can be really costly against a team like that. So when you're thinking about how you set up your team, is that where you go? Is that what informs your decision? If you think Zinchenko is maybe a better all-round footballer, I don't think many people would argue with that. But if you're looking to defend uh, and you're looking to keep them at bay, you don't want to give them those moments. So no, that's where I think Tierney comes in. But equally, you could make the case that, what well, what is Spurs' great strength? What do they want? They don't want possession. They want a counterattack on mm. you, right? So is, is security in possession yeah. of Jeez. paramount importance? You know what I mean? Like... Are you going to pick the guy you think's not going to give the ball away? Oh my it, goodness, it's hard. It's, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I think you can make both cases. Um, if I was calling it right now, given how good the performance was against Brentford, I'd probably go for Tierney. Mm. You know, you stick with something that's worked really well. But um, who knows? Mm. There may be other areas of the team that Zinchenko might get in. Yeah, you never yeah. know. You never know. We've got an international break to navigate first, so I, I wouldn't worry too mm. much about it yet. But please, for Tierney to contribute, play well, feel mm. part of things, I think it's important. Here are a couple from the Discord. One from Arsene L, who says, is there a better centre-back than Saliba in the Premier League on current performances? And Big Sven says, our back four looks so good right now. I'm in love with all of them. Ooh, you slut. Especially Saliba. I noticed he patted the cannon for his celebration. Is he starting to love the club too, or was he just chest-thumping? Please say the former. Hmm. Well, in answer to the first question, is there a better Saliba? Oof. Oof. <laughs> um, probably there are. Probably there are better centre-halves, but... I'm not sure there are many better at that age. Mm. I think we can say that quite confidently. I think so. Um, you know, I mean, arguably the two outstanding young centre-halves in this league have both come out of St Etienne and they are William Saliba and Wesley Fofana. Mm. Um, Getting Ben White there, I think. Of course, yeah. He's, a, he's just a year or two older. But yeah, I think... Um, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, he, he does have a lot going for him. And I do think the mental side of being a defender is so important. He seems incredibly strong in that mm. respect. And he's demonstrated that in his career already um, by overcoming some pretty difficult situations to get even to this point, you know, where mm. he's playing for Arsenal and playing well. Um, he gives you an, an enormous sense of security when you watch him. I'm sure he does the same for his teammates. And I do have this slight sense that the, the Arsenal players sort of are looking at him and thinking, what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> you know, it's not normal for a guy to come in at the age he is and be so commanding. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, where, how, where would you place him? I think we need to see him still come through some... Sure big games you know I think at Old Trafford he, he had probably his most difficult game in an Arsenal shirt and mm -hmm. I think October will be 
interesting. You know, he's going to come up against the likes of Harry Kane, Darwin Nunes, potentially Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I think we'll know a lot more then, mm. probably. I think so. Those are the tests. Those are the, the games where, you know, you 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 are measured. You know, if you're going to be a top four, top six club, whatever it is, you're going to be measured uh, in terms of how you play against the best in the league. I mean, we've seen him deal with Kylian Mbappe, for example, when he was playing in, in France. As for the, the sort of wider question, there was a little interview doing the rounds. I've got a clip of it here um, where he was talking about uh, you know how he feels. He was asked if he he feels at home. This is this is what he had to say. I think it was with Sky Sports. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. I'm at home here. Yeah, I I, I like London. I like the club. I like uh, yeah everything. So yeah, I feel at home. He likes everything. He likes everything. And I think the the contractual situation is is certainly something we've got to keep an eye on. But as you said, maybe last week or the week before, you know, to come in, he's played in every Premier League game so far, scored twice, had a song sung about him, not just from the fans, but inside the dressing room as well, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, those things, when you're considering your future and how happy you are and how how willing you might be to stay at a football club, I think they're, I think they're important. And the job now of Edu and, and Mikel Arteta is to, con- is to convince him you know, as we talked about, this is the place for young players to be, not just because you're a young player, but because what you want to achieve in the game of football, you can do it here. You can be part of it. You can be a, a significant part of it. So that's the other side of it. It's all well and good playing every game. But if you're playing for a team that's bottom of the table, you're getting hockeyed every week, you know, that's that only goes so far. So you've got to be able to match that playing time with ambition slash, um, you know, uh, the overall level of the team, if that makes sense. And I think in, in, in that sense, the ingredients are, are promising. So we don't know, but I would be much more encouraged about what the future might hold for him and what decision he might make based on what we've seen so far. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there were reasons he chose Arsenal whenever it was, you know, mm. a few years ago. He wanted to play in the Premier League. Arsenal was a club he felt an affiliation for. He liked the idea of the project. That, you know, there's been a lot that's gone on since then. Um, but those reasons were valid at the time, and mm. I'm sure he's reconnected to some of those. And to be honest, I think it will be um, music to his ears that he was included in the France squad. Sure. Uh for the international break. It's the last one before the World Cup. He's in there. I think he's probably going to play. And, you know, that will put him in an incredibly strong position to be selected for the World Cup, which was always a huge goal of his. And if he's come to Arsenal, and I think I think it will have augmented his bid for a World Cup place. Oh, yeah. The way in which he's adapted to a new league and, you know, the, way, the headlines he's generating, the performances he's putting in. And that will tally with what, he wants for the next step of his career so yeah I'm really encouraged really optimistic I kind of feel like if you're William Saliba um, or you're William Saliba's agent you're not in a hurry to sign this contract because his stock is rising every week Mm. Um, so the the onus is on Arsenal to close that deal because 
it looks like he could be an incredibly valuable player. Yeah. You know, I mentioned Fafana, look at the transfer fee that he's just gone for. Mm. Um, and yeah, you'd have to put Saliba in a similar bracket right now. For sure. Um, have you got any more? I think I have one more here. No, I, I, I had questions that the sort of you've covered on yeah. similar topics. Um, uh, Syke on the Discord says, Goodly morning, gentlemen. What's with the slapping of heads by the players when we score? Jesus seems to be the instigator, but Vieira had to duck and cover when he scored today. And I did notice that in the replays. Like, you, you see them come over and they give the, you know, slap on the, the top of the head. But they were really going to town on Vieira. Maybe it's because his first goal, but he's only a little guy. Take care, guy. You know, take care. I know. I, I have noticed that. I think there was going on last season too. I seem to remember some stuff with Lacazette. Um, that was probably for a different reason. <laughs> we'll try and find out. I'm not sure exactly what the origins of that is. But I think it's probably just something that they did as a laugh once and it's got out of hand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no wonder uh, players like Vieira, when they score, are sort of running off to celebrate on their own. They're probably fearful yeah. of the, the yeah. beating. <laughs> don't they don't want to get beaten up. Uh, final one from Martin Webb, who's at Martin Webb PR, 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 PR. Anyway, you know. Um, he said, which did you enjoy more, Granite Xhaka's outstanding performance again or Xhaka living inside Garth Brooks? Garth Brooks? I've gone, uh, Ireland's gone Garth Brooks mad. He was here for five nights. Uh, Garth Crook's head. Um, he picks the team of the week for the yeah. BBC every week. I don't know if you've read this. No. Um, this is Garth Crooks talking about Granite Xhaka, Arsenal, who he's picked in his team of the week. I don't like Granite Xhaka. I find him confrontational. Overly aggressive and altogether irritating. Nevertheless, on his day, he's a very good player. He should have left Arsenal years ago. However, for some reason, he has not only stayed at the club, but also occasionally wears the captain's armband, such as his popularity these days. Against Brentford, he looked very impressive, and so did Arsenal. I would like to know why Brentford didn't look up for this game, but the Gunners were so good, I rather suspect that even if they had, it wouldn't have changed anything. Arsenal were that good... Most worrying. <laughs> uh, well, I'm no fan of Garth Crooks particularly, but uh, who, of course, played for Spurs in, in his playing mm. days. Um, but I have to give someone credit when they can overcome a personal bias to recognise someone's good performance. <laughs> uh, and he has clearly done that there because he's that's the most begrudging team of the week selection I think you'll ever read. I think so. I don't know who else was in his... Uh... Uh, team of the week. There might have been a couple of other Arsenal players in there as well, but um, who knows what he said about them? Who knows? And uh, um, frankly, who cares? What's quite funny is I just Googled Garth Crooks and that's sort of created a kind of sub genre of news stories. So the Mirror have a headline, Garth Crooks lists three things he personally doesn't like about Arsenal's Granite Xhaka. Um, <laughs> this is what journalism has become. Uh, extraordinary. But listen, he was in the team of the week. We can't argue with it. Well, so was uh, Ramsdale. So was Saliba. So was Xhaka and, and Gabriel. Um, uh, yeah, well, let me see what he says about Ramsdale. Yeah, pretty pretty normal. Um, didn't have much to do, to be no. fair. Made one good save mm. um, from their only real chance. When he talks about Saliba, I must say I expected a little more from Brentford, as I did from Ivan Tony, considering his recent selection for the England team. However, Brentford and Tony had to contend with William Saliba, who looks very dangerous in the opposition, opposition penalty area and as solid as a rock in his own. 
uh, if Tony is going to be taken seriously as a starter for the national team, he's going to have to make life much harder for defenders like Saliba. This was a stroll in the park for the Frenchman. A nice kickabout for the boys, you might say. Um, I said that, not Garth Crooks, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then what does he say about Gabriel Jesus? Um, why Brazil haven't selected him for their national team during the international break is a total mystery to me. That's what he says. On top of yeah. some other stuff. But I can't be arsed reading it all out. No, let's not give him any more yeah, time. Not, well, listen, I mean, we, that, you know, I meant to say this when we were talking about um, title challenges and things like that. Mm. I think all that is kind of premature. and But I, I do think we can say we are one of the good teams in this league. Mm. Um, quite where that will place us come the end of the season. Obviously, there's a long way to go. But I think we are one of the good teams. And uh, I think we were, we were for most of last season too. Um, but I think, I think, yeah. But I think we've uh, we've kicked on since then, and yeah. it's uh, very satisfying. N- to watch. Not that I particularly care, but I do wonder if you know someone did a survey on like who are the teams that the neutrals like to watch. Like I find, and I've said this before, I find Man City a bit difficult to watch. Mm. Um, I'm sure Man City fans don't, but I do wonder how that perception of Arsenal as a team is among other fans. Again, like it's not something I put a great deal of stock in, but I feel like our football is much more enjoyable this season than it was even at times last season. You know, yeah, the, we've spoken about the added ingredients, you know, Zinchenko, Jesus, the increased intensity with which we play, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I, I'm finding us fun to watch and enjoyable to watch um you know yeah it is it's i think it's a step forward not only in terms of results but also performances but then absolutely i think that might be um quite obvious so well enjoy uh an interlal at the top of the table we will we will um we will have an Arscast Extra for you next week, of course, and uh, we'll be doing some stuff on Patreon as well to keep you occupied during the interlull to keep you um, entertained and slash informed or whatever that might be. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.